You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Here's the problem. Many of us know the promises of the Bible backwards and forward. You always talk of telling me the promises of the Bible. We all know those. We all believe God can do this and God can do that. Where the rubber meets the road is, we don't believe he will. That's unbelief. Oh, I know God can do all possibilities, but look at the situation I'm in. Well, you just cancel out what God can do. Today, Pastor Dave reminds us that biblical faith is not just about believing in what God can do, but also believing that He will fulfill His promises. And just like characters from the Old Testament, we tend to doubt God's goodness, even if we still believe in His power. But this is actually a form of unbelief. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 7 as he begins his message, The Price of Unbelief. We've been going through the book of 2 Kings. Let's pray, please. Gracious and Heavenly Father, it is always a delight in my heart when we gather together in one accord and worship you. But Lord, we do know that the one thing that pleases you is faith. So Father, as we talk about unbelief, let that not be our cause. But let us in true belief believe in the promises that you've made through your word. Help us, Lord, now as we study your word to be students of your word to correctly glean from your word that which you would speak to each heart. Father, have your way in us by your spirit. Lead and guide us. Please help us, Lord, to just be more like you. Help us, Lord, to submit to your Holy Spirit as your Holy Spirit leads and guides us, transforming us into the image of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for these saints that you brought out, Father God. Bless them abundantly with your love, your mercy, and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we finished chapter 6, where the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, had gathered his army together and went up to Samaria and lay siege around that city. If you remember, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the Samaria is their capital. But they've been under siege by the Syrian army now for quite a while. Things have gotten really, really bad within the city, and the siege is starting to take its toll. People were beginning to starve to death. Food was so scarce that the people would pay almost any price for dove droppings. They were paying for donkey heads. They were paying exuberant prices. Price gouging was rampant. Kind of like Cape May County in a hurricane. But things were so desperate that mothers were giving their babies up to be eaten. The king of Israel, instead of getting the people of the kingdom to repent and come back to God, instead, he looked for blame. 
He looked for blame. And it's interesting to me how every time there is a disaster or a calamity, people always look for someone to blame. Always looking for someone to find fault with. And usually we never look at ourselves as being at fault. When the king was totally at fault because he was the ruler of the kingdom and he should have taken the kingdom of Israel back to God. He should have turned down the idols of Baal. He should have tore down the high places and he should have brought them back into relationship with the one true living God, but he did not. And unfortunately, instead of taking the blame, he starts to blame God. And he starts to think that God is that blame here. When you read through the scriptures, it clearly shows that the problem was Israel had forsaken God. They had put God on the back burners. They began to follow after idols and, and foreign gods. And as a result, God removed his providential hand from them. And what's interesting here is that even through all the messages that were sent to the king by the Lord through Elisha, and through all the miracles that Elisha did, and through all the things that happened, the king never led his people into repentance. He never led his people into repentance. The nation Israel had broken the commandments of God. And now they're suffering the consequences. And the misguided king now wants to blame the prophet Elisha for their suffering. Look back at 631, if you will. Then he, the king, said, God, do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. He's blaming Elisha for what has befallen the nation because of his poor leadership. This is not a very good leader when he blames the people for his fault, for his problem. He, he should be the one that steps out and says, we need to get back to God. We need to get on our knees, and if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will heal their land. I will hear from heaven. I poorly butchered that scripture, but you get the gist. So if the king decides he's going to go to Elijah. He's going to go to Elisha, and he sends a messenger ahead of him. Look at 32. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Son of a murderer. Who was the murderer? His father, who was Ahab. Ahab was the king's father. And he was a murderer. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? So Elisha, per se, here, here comes this messenger. I know exactly what he wants. He wants me to go to the king, and the king's going to try to take my head because the king is following behind. Why do we think we can get one over on God? Why do we think we can fool God? See, if you don't have a relationship with God, we think we can fool him. If you're not following hard after God, we think that we can get over on him. But you don't know the scriptures that say God knows everything. He knows the beginning, the end. He knows what you're thinking even right now. He knows everything. So the messenger come. And the king's not far behind him. And listen to what the king said. And while he, the message, was still talking with them, there was a messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely 
This calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? The king couldn't wait any longer. He said, something has to happen. People are dying. I need to do something. And isn't this just like us? In the midst of a calamity, we don't want to wait for the Lord. In the midst of a trial, we don't want to wait for the Lord. In the midst of affliction, we don't want to wait for the Lord. We have a better plan, so we want to roll up our arms and our sleeves, and we want to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take care of this. This is what the king is saying. This is what the king is pronouncing to Elisha, the man of God, to Elisha who has proven himself as a prophet time and time again. So he's saying, since I can't wait for the Lord any longer, I'll take care of it. I don't know about you, but I've been in this position before. I've been in this position before. You pray and you pray and you pray, and for some reason the Lord seems to be dragging his feet, when in reality he's just setting everything up. He's just doing what he does, maybe testing you, maybe getting you ready for the next move, maybe doing all sorts of things that you're going to find out later. But Scripture tells us to wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, wait upon the Lord. We're to wait upon the Lord for the answers that were coming. And a lot of times we move, and when we move, we're that close to the end. And we move ahead of him. And when we do that, Who does he have to deal with? You, yeah. When we move ahead of the Lord and get in his way, he has to deal with us. And a lot of us do it with people. A lot of us do it with other people. We see other people in trouble or other people are doing things and we think we have to fix them. I'm gonna fix them. So I'm gonna fix them. So you take it upon yourself to fix that person and you get in between that person and the Lord. And the Guess who has the Lord deal with? Lord deals with you. Lord deals with you. So this is what's happening. The Lord said, I can't stand it any longer. If the Lord doesn't, hasn't done anything by now, I'm going to take care of things myself. See, here's the problem. And we're talking about unbelief. Here's the problem. Many of us know the promises of the Bible, backwards and forward. You're always talking, telling me the promises of the Bible. We all know those. We all believe God can do this and God can do that. Where the rubber meets the road is, we don't believe he will. That's unbelief. Oh, I know God can do all possibilities, but look at the situation I'm in. Well, you just cancel out what God can do. You just so I know God can do it, but that's the problem we're seeing here. I've been waiting. It's all about time somebody do something. I'm just the guy to do it. I got this one, Lord. Let me take care of it. Elisha steps in and he says this. Hear the word of the Lord. This is important, folks. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Man, you hear that statement coming out of the Bible. Your ears should perk up because God is going to speak. Your ears should perk up. Tomorrow, he says, about this time, a saya of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, what's going to happen here? A fantastic promise from God. There'll be no more price gouging. There'll be plenty of food for everyone to eat and the famine will be over. This is the direct promise from God. God is telling them, This is what's going to happen at this time tomorrow. This is what's going to happen. What do we do with the promises of God? 
What do we do with the promises of God? We know that all the promises of God are yes and amen. Well, what do we do with them? Do, do we look at them? Do we take them inside? Well, look what happened in verse 2. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? It's almost like he's saying, I know the Lord can, but will he? I know the Lord can do this, but will he? Listen to the unbelief in that statement. This officer whom the king leaned on, he scoffed at the promise of God. He scoffed at the promise of God. And we said last week that this windows is basically talk, could be something talking about the Noah's flood when the rains just poured out. He's basically saying, is God going to open up heaven and food just going to pour out like crazy? Well, how much history does he know? Because that's exactly what happened when they were in the wilderness. When they were in the wilderness, they wanted food and manna came from heaven. They were tired of manna and they wanted meat and quail came from heaven. That's exactly what happened. So yeah, God can and God will. But here we have it. His problem was he couldn't imagine how God could possibly keep such a promise. And I think that's a problem that we have. We can't imagine that God could keep such a promise. This guy had this crazy picture in his mind of God opening the shoots of heaven and raining flour and barley down on us. He was staggering at the promises of God. He was staggering at God's promises. He, he, he wanted to figure out how God could possibly do this without helping this, or he wanted to help. Who's the model of our faith? Who's the model of our faith? Who is our faith modeled after? Abraham. Abraham. You're studying that in the book of Galatians coming up. Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the model of our faith because when God made him a promise, what did he do? He believed. He believed in the promise. He didn't stagger at the promise. He believed in the promise of God. When God said you would have a child, he believed. When God said all the nations will be blessed by the seed of your womb, he believed. He believed God's promise. And scripture says it was imputed to him as righteousness. It was given to him as righteousness. He didn't stagger at the faith. He believed it. We must not doubt God just because we don't see how it might possibly work. I don't know how he's going to do that, but I believe that he will. That's faith. God has ways that you haven't even imagined yet. God has ways of doing things that we haven't even thought about. He has resources that are incredible. This unbelief from this guy is going to have a tragic result. This unbelief from this guy is going to have a tragic result. In fact, Elisha predicts it. He prophesies. Look at verse 2. So the officer whose hand and the king leaned on answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he, Elisha, said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You shall not eat of it. Hold that thought. He's saying, God's going to keep his promise. God is going to keep his promise. They'll be selling two gallons of flour for a dollar in the gate of Samaria tomorrow. You're going to see it, but you're not going to partake of it. Why? Because unbelief, unbelief keeps you from enjoying the blessings of God. 
Unbelief keeps you from enjoying the blessings of God. Through Jesus the Messiah, God has provided the means of which all our transgressions and all our sins are be gone, or be washed away by his blood. What a blessing it is to know that. What a blessing it is to know that your sins are forgiven, and now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a blessing it is. David said in Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He spoke of the misery when he was feeling the guilt of his sin. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Inwardly I became as dry as summer. So many people do not have this blessedness because of their unbelief. We're like the Greeks to whom the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness. We can't understand how by simply believing in Jesus Christ, we can have our sins taken away. It's unbelief, Adam. It's rampant. Unbelief keeps you from the overflowing life that Christ wants to give us. It keeps us from the abundant life. Many of us do not live in the abundant of life because of unbelief. We're staggering. And it's a problem we all have. I'm not pointing at you. I suffer from unbelief at times, and I'll admit it. There are times when I suffer from unbelief. But John said this, he that believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Unbelief costs you the abundant life in Christ. Unbelief robs you of the hope of a future. Look around at the world today. Do you think that the world out there today has any hope? I don't see hope. I see hopelessness and despair in our world today. I see hopelessness and despair. You know, any direction you look, you'll see this. Unbelief leads to despair. Unbelief then leads to hopelessness. But we have in Christ these great and precious promises, to quote Peter. Great and precious promises that he's given to us. So this man is already staggered in unbelief. He is staggered at the promises of God. Can God really do this? Can God make this happen? So as we begin the rest of the chapter 7... Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city. We shall die there. And if we sit here, we'll die here also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, We shall only die. This is great theory. Think about this. This is great. We're going to die anyhow, so we, come on. We're we're dying here. Everybody's dying, you know? You know, when I read this, I got, I don't know, my mind is weird. Be careful. My mind is really weird, but what I got is, I got the prodigal son. I got the prodigal son saying, "If, if I go back to dad and become one of his servants, I'll eat. And I'll get some food. What do I have to lose? I mean, I'm out here starving. These guys are, we're going to die. First of all, they're going to die from their leprosy anyhow. And it's either going to be quickly or it's going to be late. These guys weren't allowed in the city because they were unclean. And anytime they came into the city, rocks would be thrown at them and people would yell, unclean, unclean. So one of them asked a great question. Why should we sit here and die? I love that. (laughs) I love that. I love it. Why not go into the Syrian camp? If they kill us, oh well. But they may feed us. Hell, let's go. Better quickly to die from the sword than slowly from hunger. Why don't we just sit here? 
And I said this to the guys a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's, no, it's no secret that I'm, I, I'm a movie weirdo. And in the Shawshank Redemption, the, the guy says to the other one, get busy living or get busy dying. These guys are saying, hey, we're going to die anyhow. We might as well get busy and live as long as we can. We might as well get busy and continue to go as long as we can possibly go. And I love this because these four guys, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a tradition. Gusick records a tradition that it was these men who were actually Gehazi and his sons. Who was Gehazi? Elisha's servant, right? Remember with Naaman? He greedily went and got the reward from Naaman and kept it for himself. What happened to him? He became a leper. Not only him, but the scripture says all of his descendants, doesn't it? Well, tradition says these four guys was Gehazi and his sons. Not true, not biblical. I'm just throwing that out there as Jewish tradition. It's pretty interesting when you think about that. Pretty interesting. So let's see what happens. Verse 5. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. They waited till twilight, hoping that everybody would be asleep and they could sneak about. They weren't really allowed to roam freely. They had to be careful. But their surprise, nobody was there. Why? The Lord had made a move. The Lord had come once again to the rescue of a rebellious nation, I love this, how many times the Lord comes and rescues a rebellious nation. And I can say, in all honesty, that many times the Lord has rescued me, a rebellious child. But he's rescued me. Look at 6 and 7. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear noises of chariots and noises of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the Hippites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. I love this. I love this. Now, does anybody remember what happened in chapter 6 when the army was coming against them? Remember Elisha's servant? He yelled out, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And he opened his eyes and saw this huge mass army that was surrounding them, that was going to help them defeat the Syrians. Remember that? Well, if you don't, I just told you. Anyhow... Could this be the army? Could this be the same army that that guy saw, that, that he looked at? It could be the same army that now all of a sudden they hear him. They go, wait a minute. The Lord acted mightily on behalf of the Israelites in Samaria. He acts mightily, and he doesn't even lift a finger. Why? Because the scripture says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He did it incredibly. No drawn sword, no bloodshed, nobody died. You are our time with you today has come to an end on a sure hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 2 Kings. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. 
If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We gather each week for a time of worship and Bible study. Our service times are Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit AssureHopeRadio.com for directions and more details. If you prefer email, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at CapeWatchRadio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Just look for a link on our website at AssureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 2 Kings. We're looking forward to the next edition as Pastor Dave will share more from this Old Testament book about the rise and fall of many kings. There are lessons to be learned about leaders who were just people. May what you hear give you a sure hope.